Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to Pop Culture History Lesson on the Ringer Dish Feed. I am the Ringer's fearless scam correspondent, Jody Walker, as we are talking about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos today. And I am thrilled to be joined by Ringer staff writer and revered tech reporter and podcaster, Alyssa Bresnak. Welcome, Alyssa. Happy to be here. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were going to do the voice. I hoped you would do the voice. I couldn't bring myself to. Maybe later after I've worked up a little courage. I, I think um, I still need to work on the impression a little bit. But. I found myself when listening to, re-listening to the podcast and watching the documentaries about Elizabeth Holmes, she does a lot of the like the Silicon Valley sort of rhetorical right where people end a sentence going, right? you know, but it's like a rhetorical question, right? And every time she would do it, I would just like instinctually go, right, right, right. <laughs> like responding, like, a call yeah, and respond. Like, just hearing her say it was like so intense uh, that I that I had to say it right back. So as we've noted today on Pop Culture History Lesson, we are delving somehow into the world of STEM as we cover the epic rise and fall of the erstwhile inventor, the bogus baritone, the bloody billionaire, 
Elizabeth Holmes. I had to come up with some nicknames because she didn't have any. Um, So, (laughs) Alyssa, when I say the name Elizabeth Holmes, what are the first things that pop into your mind? Uh, I don't know, like Steve Jobs with boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait wait to one-up me with the nickname immediately. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think about a ton of Silicon Valley buzzwords that were like, and I think about the optimism of consumer tech and Mm. like uh, tech media and unicorns and hustle culture and all these buzzwords that biohacking, all these things that feel like relics these days. But Elizabeth Holmes basically as a single person embodied all of those things and also sort of the downfall of them. Yeah. And we're so excited. I'm so excited to have you on, Alyssa, because you have the the tech expertise and the Silicon Valley knowledge to kind of understand some of the more weird nuances of uh, the Elizabeth Holmes situation, which if you're not familiar with, uh, we are out here on these pop culture streets talking about Silicon Valley because on Thursday, the first of two dueling Elizabeth Holmes vehicles is dropping on Hulu. Uh, there is a another another film coming starring Jennifer Lawrence, but the first one drops starring Amanda Seyfried based on the reporting by Rebecca Jarvis in her ABC News podcast of the same name, The Dropout. So, Alyssa, what is your familiarity with the story of Elizabeth Holmes? What kind of Elizabeth Holmes content have you been devouring over the last six years? Have you listened to the Dropout podcast? What have you sort of been consuming about the Elizabeth Holmes case? Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess I've been reading about it ever since she was a story, which is like was starting around 2014, which is kind of yeah, hard to did you Did you know who she was? Like when she started coming on the covers of magazines, did you have any familiarity with her as someone who follows tech or... Sure. You were pretty I, young then. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I was in the I was in the biz. I kind of knew about, you know, I was I was actually a consumer tech journalist who covered like the like Apple product launches and stuff like that and would like test okay. gadgets. So it wasn't necessarily my beat, but because of her parallels to Steve Jobs and, you know, her Forbes cover, which I think is what put her on the radar for me, I like I was like, oh whoa, this is a big deal. Like this is an example of like a unicorn. It was right up there with a company like Uber in terms of just like the potential to change the world and um, the big found like founder personality who was almost like larger than life, sort of like legendary. And even like Travis Kalanick, he was more of a bro, but she yeah. really cultivated this persona about her. And, you know, the media was not that skeptical like the Forbes cover was like in retrospect really not like a pretty bad moment for tech journalism right um and uh, there was also a New York I should add there was also a New Yorker article that was much more skeptical and sort of like laid out the possibility that this could be a completely game-changing technology and that she was like actually a genius but also the possibility because of their secrecy that all of this stuff could fall apart. And I I think that there was like, 
the, but everyone was so positive that the, that was never like, like that hadn't happened in a, a real way in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Something you hear over and over when sort of studying this case is that people just wanted it so bad, wanted this female founder, this really young sort of genius woman compared to the likes of Steve Jobs and Beethoven. They wanted it to be real so bad that they were sort of willing to ignore reality. So I'm just going to backtrack a little bit in case anyone is not like us and has not been, you know, ferociously following this story uh, for the last six years uh, to say that Elizabeth Holmes was a young woman, a very young woman. In 2003, she decided to drop out of Stanford to start a company called Theranos because she had had a very big idea, which was to revolutionize the healthcare industry by making um, blood testing a much simpler process. So instead of taking syringes and syringes of blood to run a bunch of tests, she wanted to be able to take just a few drops of blood, run them through a machine that would run up to 200 tests, covering anything from STDs to vitamin D deficiencies to, in certain cases, detecting cancer. And in her quest to do this as, you know, a sort of like signature Stanford dropout, uh, just like so many other Silicon Valley bros, but this time she's a woman and she's very young. And with that uh, sort of notoriety, she is able to raise a ton of money, get these huge people, notably mostly old white men, on her board. She founds a huge company that goes for over 10 years before it is ultimately revealed that the machine that she has been working on, shilling to investors, uh, signing contracts with for Walgreens, doesn't really exist, at least not the way in sh that she's been selling it. The machine is not capable of running all these tests. The technology is faulty. And really, in order to get any results, uh, the Theranos is kind of faking it. Which brings me to the concept of Silicon Valley, Alyssa. There's this mindset that you sort of fake it till you make it. Or in the words of, I believe Mark Zuckerberg, move fast, break things. So my question for you is with Elizabeth Holmes and this big medical tech idea, is it possible to disrupt science? <laughs> well, yeah, right. Like you're kind of applying a Silicon Valley like standard practice to a entire field that sort of by definition requires like testing results and getting <laughs> peer reviews and all of these things to ensure that like science is science. Science is basically like going through an experiment and getting like knowing what was like that you'll get a certain result. <laughs> right. There, notoriously, um, there's a whole method around it called the scientific <laughs> method that requires quite a bit of patience. Something yeah. that and you can Elizabeth look up Holmes that Wikipedia page. Right. Yeah, go for it. Could I technically tell you what the scientific method is? No, but I'm also not trying to start a biotech company. Right, 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 right. We get a pass. We're not girl bossing too close to the sun. Right. We were talking um, about love is blind not two minutes before we got on air. So yes, like, but but I think this point that you're making is like a really important one, which is that. What in the structure of Silicon Valley and how it's set up, how you pitch these like wealthy investors, there is a lot of like 
here's our trajectory for growth. Um, we imagine partnerships with these major brands. Like we have connections there. Uh, like this is what it, this is how we could change the world. Like that's what they want. They don't like no investor wants you to sit down and be like, well, like it's possible it'll work. <laughs> like right. you, they want, they want conviction, conviction and confidence and a plan to make it happen. And, and in addition to that, uh, there's a way you can get around these things because a lot of investors aren't like biochemists. <laughs> right. Just so, like Elizabeth Holmes, they're not biochemists. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, because of the way investment money is sort of thrown around in Silicon Valley and has been for a really long time, mm-hmm. uh, there's a level of FOMO, you know, that there's this like famous bar and lounge um, on Sand Hill Road in Palo Alto. I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I've been there. Oh. And that's like where all the investors hang out. It's like by all these companies. It's like near Stanford and the research center there. And like- What's it called? Rosewood Lounge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Lots of like sophisticated lighting. <laughs> oh, I was imagining like, like banana print wallpaper in the bathroom. No, no, no. Like low couches, <laughs> understated, <laughs> okay, the, okay. like understated engineers bar. <laughs> um, you know, they're driving Volvos and wearing like North Face fleeces. At least right. Some of there them are, are Patagonias and Keens everywhere. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, that's like, that's where a lot of people like who's who of Silicon Valley meet and talk. And like if a big company that's getting a ton of investment, like a so-called unicorn that's valued over a billion dollars, but still privately held, if that's happening, then people are gossiping about it. And they're they're saying like, I like, they want to be the one to get in early so they can yeah. like make a lot of money. And so, you know, and it's like if you're someone like Larry Ellison, who is like the CEO of Oracle, he is so rich that it doesn't matter. <laughs> like yeah. he could just like hear a 10 pitch. million there, 30 million there. It's worth it's worth it almost right. just to, to to be indiscriminate. But you know, I I think Silicon Valley has wanted to distance themselves from El- Elizabeth Holmes since she's been put on trial and been made this pariah <laughs> of the culture. Since and, all the fraud. Yes, yeah, since all that yeah, fraud. They she didn't was love doing. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's pretty hard to because major players in, in the field were investing at like Tim Draper, also a big dude. Like he um, wrote her a check for a million dollars when she was 19 and had dropped out. So uh, I, I think like it, in general, she was playing the game of Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. She was doing what all the like super confident bros were doing, but girl bossing too close to the sun because it was with science. Right. Yeah. The science aspect of it is what really takes this in a wildly different direction. So let's talk a little bit about the foundation of Elizabeth Holmes and kind of what got her to this point where she's trying to break into Silicon Valley and how she uh, did that with notoriously disruptable field science. In her early life, in any articles you read about her, the glowing ones from sort of before she was exposed as well as in the Dropout podcast... And in John Carreyrou's work um, investigating Theranos, people will talk about how she had this dream to change the world since she was a child. It was her her life's goal, and she was 
ultimately going to try and do it no matter what. The question I end up having as she gets older and this becomes a less childish dream, although it kind of stays a childish dream, but not a childish reality is, did she want to change the world or did she want to be someone who was known for changing the world? And I think I know the answer to that question. And it's probably the latter. (laughs) Um, But as she heads into Stanford, she comes in with a lot of ambition. Um, She wants to change the world. She wants to kind of do it without taking too many classes, if at all possible. But she's she's making connections the moment she gets to Stanford. And so there she meets a professor named Channing Richard Robertson, Richardson. Okay, Google that when you do your Wikipedia, folks. <laughs> Just went right out of my head because the first name Channing is uh, is so is so good, and he really becomes an advocate for her and a mentor for her, and ultimately serves on her board as well as a salaried employee by Theranos. But she also kind of makes an enemy at Stanford, who I love. And keep your eye out for her if you watch the Hulu show on The Dropout. Great character, great performance. Her name is Dr. Phyllis Gardner. And she is one of the first people that Elizabeth Holmes approaches with a big idea to change the world. And that initial idea is a patch that one can wear on their skin to first diagnose what you might have going on inside of you and then administer medicine to fix that problem. And Dr. Gardner immediately tells her that this is not possible, that the skin is too great of a barrier to have to breach and it simply won't work with microfluidics. But microfluidics is the area that Elizabeth Holmes is really interested in. And she does manage to sort of sell this idea or what eventually becomes Theranos to other people, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's no denying she was really brilliant. Like, right. Like she learned Mandarin so she could go to China to like do a study of like a specific thing. And she like, I know she was, she came from a very privileged background, but it does sound like in addition to being a really good marketer and being like standing up for herself and being really confident in her ideas that there was like substance there. I don't want to like completely (laughs) blow her off in that way. Um, Yeah. I think in like restudying this sort of and looking a little deeper into this story, that was something that I realized. And even I, I, it's, I don't, you haven't watched the dropout yet. Have you, Elsa? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm looking forward to so I've I've watched the first few episodes and I think that that's something that they are doing a good job of achieving and definitely trying to achieve is selling her as a very intelligent and persuasive young woman despite sort of how bizarre she is. And I think that when the Elizabeth Holmes case like really came to prominence between sort of like 2016 and 2019 when the documentaries and the podcasts started dropping It's easy to think of her as sort of a joke because of this voice and whatever charm she has is not always immediately evident. But clearly these people in Silicon Valley who are getting in rooms with her were finding her very persuasive. So let's talk a little bit about um, like building the Elizabeth Holmes brand. What kind of things was she bringing to the table and Silicon Valley methods was she mirroring uh, with you know, it really admiring Steve Jobs. We've already heard Alyssa's perfect impression of the voice. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> she's one thing that she is known for doing and that people have known knew her early on have said that she purposefully dropped her voice and gave herself this very unusual baritone. She also started wearing a turtleneck. Alyssa, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have dressed a theme uh, to see you in this turtleneck. <laughs> you <look great. laughs> and that's actually maybe the only thing I have in common with Elizabeth Holmes is <laughs> that I like also kind of wear a uniform. I wear turtlenecks a lot on Zoom because I think it's kind of a streamlined look. <laughs> Yeah, it look, you look great. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I feel great. I feel like I might start a biotech industry. Um, and then what in your sort of knowledge of her was Elizabeth Holmes' demeanor like? What was she bringing to the table that investors were finding so convincing? She had a really strong command of the facts. It's like, it's clear. And what we, you know, we can later understand as like, I think, true rehearsal and like real sort of memorization of how to do this. She was like, could answer any question that uh, like was prepared with information for any question that an investor had. She might not have been giving the correct information to like the regulatory agencies <laughs> or whoever like asked for it, but she would like refer that she had like a prepared answer to give them. Like, uh, we're not we're not ready to share that proprietary information or something like that without like, right. without blinking. Like a lot of people say that she barely blinked. Like that's yeah. how intense her stare was. She was always like, she sort of had like this, this like plastic smile on yeah. a good amount and of the sort time. sort of a nervous, what I find to be a kind of an unnerving, nervous smile and, and giggle to her. But it was also, you know, woman in tech, you probably have to keep your smile on, keep your eyes big. And she was doing it. She yeah. was performing. She was drinking a lot of green juice. <laughs> <laughs> Important <She was>. to note. <laughs> um, lots of green juice every day, like four times a day or something like that. She wasn't sleeping much, which is always a great sign of a tech founder. <laughs> right. Yeah. So part of this personality that she's cultivating in in a lot of the interviews that she's doing and the profiles that are being done on her is I, I feel like she's making sure to slip some of these things in, like that she doesn't date because she doesn't have time for it, that she doesn't eat food because she doesn't have time for it. She's drinking her food, that she doesn't blink because she doesn't have time for it and she doesn't sleep because she is head, body, spirit and soul totally involved in Theranos. Yeah. But we actually do know, now that the story has been fully exposed, that she was dating. She was, in fact, dating one person the entire time that she was building this company. Uh, and that was a much older man named Sonny Balwani that she met when she was 18 on the Mandarin Immersion Program in Beijing that Alyssa mentioned earlier. And he was there studying as an adult. She was there studying as a just graduated high school senior. And they sort of bonded during that experience and continued to stay close. And when... Elizabeth did her initial round of investing, she of investment. She got around $6 million from family and friends. Then she proceeded to get more money from who Alyssa mentioned earlier, Don Lucas, Larry Ellison. Notably, really most of her investors were not major venture firm, firms that specialize in biotech. 
Alyssa, would you see that as a red flag if you were <laughs> like observing this company or or writing about it or investigating it? Yeah, I mean, definitely. The problem is just like not a lot of people have experience in biotech. Like, right. That let's like famously John Carreyu's book, Bad Blood, is like he had to do a lot of that groundwork oh and gosh. it's not necessarily simple stuff like like more power to him. He's a really great journalist, but it's not a, a stronger willed writer than I, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but sure, a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> right, a red flag. So she does get investors, but the the kind of experimentation that she's doing in this field to try to create this technology where you can do 200 tests with just a few drops of blood is really expensive. And she keeps running out of money. In this time, she does manage to bring on a huge board of directors. They are weirdly all very involved with government. And and like you said, Alyssa, it's, it's hard to find people who know a lot of biotech. Something Elizabeth Holmes is very good at is finding people who don't know a lot about biotech and having them believe that she does know a lot about biotech or at least knows enough to um, completely change the field of blood testing. So among that board are George Schultz and Henry Kissinger, two former U.S. secretaries of state, General James Mattis, a former Marine Corps general, Gary Ruffhead, a former chief of naval operations, William Perry, a former secretary of defense. And you might be wondering if she is trying to start a new government instead of trying to start a biotech blood drawing company, but she's not. Um, She's just trying to surround herself with very powerful people, it seems, but still the money runs out. And so what she does is bring on her boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, who is independently wealthy from having sold his own companies. He invests $13 million in the company and becomes the COO and president of Theranos. And at that time, according to most people who work there, there's a pretty big shift in the culture. Did you find that in your research, Alyssa? Yeah, like it gets really secretive. They're, like They have to confer in private rooms about things and um, they were pretty inseparable. People's like communication with uh, Elizabeth Holmes is limited, I think, around right. this time. And, you know, like as we later learned from the trial, like she's <laughs> making crazy lists at home about what like all the things she needs to do down to like 15 minute intervals. <laughs> OK, I would love to hear a little more about that, because I think, Alyssa, that you followed the trial a little bit more than I did. What what sorts of things came out in her in her notes around that time? Yeah, like she had it's like hand like handwritten notes from Sunny about how she's supposed to live. <laughs> Like that's, yeah, it's pretty intense. I mean, you know, one thing I should say here is in the trial, she testified that she was in an abusive relationship with him. Um, Right. I don't think anyone can know whether or not that was true. Uh, Like, I don't necessarily deny it. I just don't think that it absolves her of the fraud that she committed. Um, Right. And ultimately, the jury agrees with you. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, So it's like 4 a.m., Rise and thank God, most things are not logical. 4 to 4.15, wash face, change. 4.15 to 4.45, meditate, clear mind. 4.45 to 5.20, workout. 
520 to 620. Chain, shower, shave, perfect. <laughs> He's telling <laughs> her to do these things? Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell her to shave. Stay in your lane, mister. <laughs> um, 620 to 630, pray. 630 to 645, breakfast, banana, way. <laughs> 645, drive to T-H-E. I'm assuming that's Theranos. Um, lunch, salad with tofu and tabbouleh and, and, you know, it just goes on like this. And then there's like mantras. It's like, I do everything I say word for word. I am never a minute late. I show no excitement. All about business. I am not impulsive. I do not react. I am always proactive. I know the outcome of every encounter. I do not hesitate. It goes on and on and on, <laughs> but it's like really intense. Right. Um, yeah, and- something about Elizabeth Holmes is that she's like a highly unrelatable person. You know, I, I feel sort of sympathy in listening to some of those things because like, that's no way to live. You know, <laughs> you, you yeah. should be allowed to smile. And I should also note that this was like a thing she made, but it was it, like he also wrote her notes about how to live. Like, I think I mixed that up a little, but she also wrote notes about how to live and he also gave her instructions. But it was all, I think, part of this like weird dynamic they had established. Right. Of crafting her into this founder um, that could be seen as the face of this company. And ultimately, it becomes very important to Sonny and Elizabeth for Elizabeth to be the face of this company and for the branding to be really specific. She's always been an admirer of Apple and of Steve Jobs. So early on in Theranos, she brings on um, Avi Tavanian as part of her board. And she brings on, who was the head of software at Apple? She brings on Ana Ariola as... Um, as a design, as the lead designer at Theranos, she designed the iPhone uh, originally, and so she's bringing on. And a lot of her designers were brought on from Apple. However, most of them fairly quickly quit because, even having worked at Apple, they they note that this is a pretty unsustainable office culture and that things are already starting to happen around 2006, 2007, really pretty early on in the Theranos story that they don't agree with. Um, In August 2007, Ana Ariola finds out that Elizabeth is testing, Elizabeth and her people advising her, are testing faulty Theranos devices on terminal cancer patients. And she does not morally agree with that. She brings it up with Elizabeth and Elizabeth basically tells her that she can either kind of get over it because this is just part of the testing process, which it's not really, um, to to my knowledge, or, or she can leave. And so she decides to resign. And at that time, most of the people who have come on from Apple resign. However, what I find really fascinating about the Theranos story is how long it went on and how much turnover there was with really there not being that much publicity about what was happening. Can that happen in Silicon Valley, Alyssa? Like, can a can a company just be absolutely going bananas inside and like not working and not functioning and really nobody knows, and it has a totally different public perception? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the okay, short answer great. is yes. <laughs> but uh, like, yeah, there's a lot of opaque things about Silicon Valley. A lot of that gets written off as the chaos of startup culture. When right. you start a company, 
like tensions are high, everyone's worked to the bone. There's a lot of pressure to meet deadlines, to make investors happy. You kind of just write off people, like people leaving as part, like part of the game. And I, I should also say that like, even the secrecy of, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I remember in the like HBO doc, the Alex Gibney thing, like there were a couple of, of, employees who said like I interviewed and I didn't they didn't tell me what I would be working on really right. and it's really common for any tech company to like have a, a potential employee sign an NDA as they're doing an interview you know this is like important pr- proprietary information especially if you're an engineer or working in patent department or anything like that like it, you can't give away these secrets there's a like a real effort to protect the technology that you're creating. Yeah. And th- I mean, that's normal, but, but it allows, especially at a place like Apple, like Apple famously doesn't allow its employees to know they're very siloed as well. They don't know what um, the other one is doing unless they absolutely need to. And so they, like, I think there are no sort of got to hide behind that sort of general practice in Silicon Valley. And that allowed them to be really secretive to, to, to the press as well. There right. are, like the press is always like, can you show us the inside of that weird machine that you're making? <laughs> like, all, or that you're putting everyone's blood in and they're like, oops, sorry, we can't because we don't want to be like disrupted ourselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't disrupt me. <laughs> don't disrupt me. <laughs> right. So yeah, they're really Elizabeth and Sunny are the only people who understand the totality of what is going on because in you know down in the labs uh which are which are downstairs at their new very fancy silicon valley offices they know that the tech isn't working but what they maybe don't know is the idea that elizabeth and sunny are selling about their timeline and how quickly these machines can be rolled out to consumers rolled out in the retail market rolled out uh, in the way that they say that they're being rolled out, like in medevac helicopters and on the battlefield and in the Pentagon, none of which is true. And what the upstairs people don't know necessarily is that the tech isn't working and that the idea that they're selling is just sort of a lie. Um, so, And they don't know that they're faking demos, notably. <laughs> Right. With you mean like with the investors? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about well, what they're what they're doing with those demos? Yeah. Like they did it with Rupert Murdoch, who was one of the investors, which I just find this to be hilarious. Like they took a little bit of they took his pinprick of blood, you know, like famously you can hold it between like your index right. finger and your thumb. <laughs> for for all the people who can't see us holding our fingers up right now, <laughs> a very, very tiny <laughs> you can just pinch between your two fingers. It fits only a couple of drops of blood. Exactly. So, so they did that. Nanotainer, that's what it's called. So they take his <laughs> nanotainer of blood. And they, you know, they put it in the machine and then they like press a button and it, it makes some noises Mm -hmm. and yeah. And then like they follow up later and they're like, we have your blood results. Um, but they, they either would just completely sort of like remove any irregularities and send like a pretty inaccurate result from, uh, from the machine 
or not inaccurate, but just obviously not up to standard. Or they would like literally just take like for the more complicated specific tests to detect cancer or Zika or whatever it is, they would take a bunch of blood and just use like the classic sort of, they would do it intravenously and they would like use the classic like quest diagnostics tests or something. They would use like old school machines to uh, determine what, what was happening in the blood, like, which is like the funny thing because in all of her marketing speeches he's she's always just talking so much shit about like the traditional blood drawing process she's like this is a form of torture like right like blah 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 so the the demos i think are one of the most egregious examples of faking it till you make it but see if you do this in software it's just not as bad like and i want to point out that steve jobs in his very first presentation of the iphone like it was not working. It did not have enough memory to function correctly. And he had found a way to basically hack that in front of a whole audience and like right. pulled it off and then like got all the buy-in and was able to make it a reality later. So yeah. it's not, it's not completely out of nowhere that she did this. It's like, I think that's the really interesting thing is the gray area there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her her real fatal flaw is choosing science like is choosing to try and do this with the hardest possible field to like make advancements in quickly so steve jobs can fake that that demo but he's got a team of engineers who are creating that technology and I, given i'm talking about two things that i absolutely know nothing about technology and medicine <laughs> But it does seem like you could more quickly shape the the technology that you need when it is not founded in science, but founded in, say, coding. You know, there's just you just can't really like change the parameters of what science can do. And uh, something I always come back to to in this story is that so early on, Dr. Phyllis Gardner told her that in the field of microfluidics, this wasn't going to be possible. But she, but Elizabeth Holmes has that mentality of most startups fail because people don't believe that they're possible. You simply have to keep believing that the impossible is possible to achieve it. And sometime around, I'd say 2010, things really start spiraling out of control at Theranos because around that time is when Sonny and Elizabeth start making a deal with Walgreens. And the plan is to bring the Edison machine, which I don't actually think we've said the name of, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, very special, very non-functioning machine is called the Edison based on another famous inventor. And the entire goal this whole time of these machines is to be able to give people the access to their own medical records, to their own health and what's going on inside their bodies. And that's a a really noble goal. And I guess it seems to be what keeps fueling her through a lot, a lot, a lot of lying. Uh, And so the plan is to first get these machines into Walgreens so that at least in some places, once the legislation is through, people can go into a Walgreens and have their blood tested without even needing 
like a doctor's note or for it to be, um, you know, prescribed by a doctor. They can just get their blood tested and find out what's going on. If they kind of like feel like something's off, they don't even have to go to a doctor. They can just go into a Walgreens. Walgreens is also very excited about this idea. They think that sounds good and like it might, you know, make them really one up CVS once and for all. And so they they're a little skeptical, but they but they welcome they welcome this deal with Elizabeth Holmes. But the problem is that these machines don't work. Um, and like Alyssa was noting earlier with those demos that she that Elizabeth Holmes was doing for board members, what ultimately ends up happening is that the Edison machine successfully runs maybe a few tests, but it doesn't successfully run most of the 200 tests that it's saying that it can run. So Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny decide to buy a bunch of big Siemens machines, they're called, that is what like Quest Diagnostics and other big lab corporations use. So the whole idea was to disrupt the blood testing industry, but ultimately what they've done is just made a very expensive, pretty non-functioning, smaller version of the blood testing industry. And they're shipping the blood that they're taking from from patients in Arizona where they've installed these machines in in Walgreens. They're shipping it back to Palo Alto to test it on these bigger machines. Sometimes they're testing it on their Edison machines, but often those tests are incorrect. And they're giving those incorrect results back out to patients. So Alyssa, at what point do you think that Theranos crosses the line from faking it till you make it like a Silicon Valley company and just completely defrauding every single person who's ever encountered it? <laughs> That's kind of a leading question. <laughs> Have I already answered it? <laughs> um, I'm no John I, Kerry, Rue. <laughs> I Obviously, the... My concern here is less with the um, invest, like these rich dudes that she was sort of um, like, you know, like lying to to get their money and more with the patients who are getting inaccurate results. Like this is life or death, death stuff in some instances. And John Kerry, you was really good about finding specific people in his book to highlight who um we're really concerned um, about like a potential cancer diagnosis and like received information that was inaccurate. And that like those are really stressful, like important moments in um, not only just like knowing what next steps you need to do, but informing your family members and also, like, you have to have a certain level of confidence and trust in your medical care or like right. the whole thing, the whole thing that we like spent years establishing basically falls apart. So I, I mean that like that to me is what makes this hustle the most egregious. Like maybe she could have gotten away with like a scam, like a sort of nicer scammer title. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> which I think some people have given her, like there's definitely some, fans out there what, what 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 i forget someone's just said that, that they're called homies which is like yeah really embarrassing. yes um 
Once this ultimately goes to trial, there are a group of women who show up outside in their black turtlenecks. I want to be clear that th- that my black turtleneck does not indicate that I am a fan of Elizabeth Holmes and her, <laughs> her poor work in the medical field. Um, and they're wearing wigs and they're re- wearing red lipstick and they're calling themselves homies. Um, I think it's kind of like a shout out to the idea, maybe, and maybe you can speak to this, that... In the tech world, men get away with with scamming and with faking it till they make it all the time. And that Elizabeth Holmes has become this kind of, the homies might say, scapegoat um, for an entire industry that she's not the first person to do this in. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely think that that's a fair argument to make. But again, like, Think about the patients who got the bad blood tests like it's that it, you're actually hurting real life people. And I just don't have like I don't have that admiration or sympathy for her. I can't get in on like, you know, the like the, the I can't jump on the homie train. <laughs> um, oh, that because, you could. <laughs> because it like. There were real serious real world consequences to her actions, but she does kind of get grouped in with like these scammer goddesses um, that have become sort of like recent idols in pop culture because it's not it's not just in Silicon Valley. It's a pretty common place where in Silicon Valley, but it's like all of American culture, like it's in our politics, it's on social media, it's everywhere. (laughs) And, and so there's a real frustration when it's like, oh, okay, you found the the, the woman who did it wrong. Like, right. I, I can understand that instinctively. Um, but also that there's no excuse for putting people's lives in danger. Right. Yeah. That's the huge sort of human part of this story that a lot of times gets lost in all these big names and, you know, secretaries of state who are on her board. And it was really a, at some point it became it stopped being about inventing something and it became very dangerous and i think about a lot when reading about this story is what if it had gone on further because it went on for so long this company existed and was continued to raise money from 2003 to 2015 in 2014 the company theranos is valued at nine million dollars elizabeth holmes has excuse me nine billion (laughs) dollars Elizabeth Holmes has raised nearly a billion dollars in funding at that point. And because she is the majority share owner of Theranos, she is personally valued at over $4.5 billion, which lands her on the cover of Forbes as America's wealthiest self-made billionaire in 2014. And that's when her celebrity really explodes. Yeah. This was pre-Kylie Jenner. (laughs) Right. Pre-Kylie Jenner, another sort of fraudulent billionaire. (laughs) Or or at least the calculations of how of how she became a billionaire. I would actually like I would like for things to be a little more straightforward about how people I want to know how much cash people have, not how much their valuation (laughs) is. Show me the bank receipts. (laughs) Show me. I want to see you Scrooge McDucking around in a bunch of gold coins for me to believe that you. (laughs) Yeah, that's the proof I require with a picture (laughs) of today's newspaper. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You need to be holding something up 
<laughs> that tells me that this is the truth. Um, because it certainly was not an Elizabeth Holmes case. Although, you know, her company really was valued that high. But I, I think that I, I heard on um, Rebecca Jarvis's podcast, uh, someone in the tech industry say that if if a company, if a tech company is valued that high without an actual product to show that is like readily available, then that's a pretty clear indicator of fraud. Like you've you've probably got a case of fraud on your hands. Uh, people are buying or maybe buying into something that doesn't exist. And a lot of the buying into that went into the marketing of Theranos. It was the marketing of Elizabeth herself. She brings in um, the marketing company, the advertising agency that Apple worked with to make a lot of their most famous commercials. And one of my favorite, like sort of bizarre notes in this case is that that, ad agency is really one of like the first people to fully fact check Elizabeth Holmes and all the things that she's telling because they can't like in good conscience put out these ads that say a lot of really specific things without fact checking those. So they force her to tell them which things are fully vetted, fully true and most of them aren't. So this entire ad campaign that they've designed that says that you can get your results from this machine in four hours, that it only takes uh, a few, or at that time, I think it just said they took one drop of blood. They have to really dial back the language on most of those things and make it really vague. Um, But... Yeah, around that time, Elizabeth Holmes gets really famous. There's a lot of turmoil within Theranos. And I think the sort of uptick of this story is that it it doesn't go on so long that it really begins to like, it it certainly harms people. And I know you've read John Carreyrou's book, Alyssa. So you you probably have read more of the personal stories of people who who were endangered by false readouts. It's like, Um, it's weird, right? Because it's not necessarily like you getting the wrong blood test can be like the reason that you die. Right. (laughs) So it's it's, it's what you do in response to that blood test. If you take too much insulin because the blood test tells you you need to or something like that. Right. And it's the reason why, like weirdly of like all the counts that she was up for None of them had to do with this lab. Like all of that is taken care of in the sense that like they received pretty intense fines and evaluations from regulatory agencies once they're like once John Kerry's journalism was out there and they started an investigation and a complaint came out. But it's like it's still really serious. Like to me, that's way more serious. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. I mean, human lives are more serious in every possible way than than money of rich people, than money of the government, than money of Silicon Valley and investors. And so we really owe a lot of this of, of Theranos finally being exposed to two very young employees of the company, Tyler Schultz, who is actually the grandson of George Schultz, who was on the board, and Erica Chung, who were two young people hired basically right out of college to work at Theranos. And they also come in at like the worst possible time when everything is failing they're doing Theranos and their labs are doing everything they can to sort of keep their head above water and just pretend like everything is going fine. At some point, it almost seems like they stop even working on the 
like invention aspect of the technology to really make the original idea work. And they're just treading water. So this was always going to explode at some point, but ultimately it explodes because Tyler Schultz and Erica Chung basically blow the whistle. Um, They go to a few regulatory boards. They speak to John Kerry Rue for this article that is, is bubbling up at the Wall Street Journal. And John Kerry Rue also speaks to sort of patients who have been wronged by these ther- by the Theranos blood work. And that article comes out in 2015. Basically a downhill trip from there. Things really start to explode for Theranos. The, the famous quote that's, uh, you know, in a lot of the documentaries and, and the podcast about Elizabeth Holmes, she actually says after that article comes out, which just seems like unbelievable to me, like, throw in the towel, sis. She says, first, they think you're crazy. Then should I do the voice? I think you should think you're crazy. (laughs) Then they fight you. And then all of a sudden you change the world. Um, and she says that knowing good and well, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) How does she do that all the time? Um, she says that after she's been exposed, uh, she, she really, she really will go down with this ship. Um, Ultimately, a lot of things come her way and Sunny Balwani's way after this. But the biggest thing is that Sunny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes are charged with 11 counts of fraud uh, in June of 2018. And that goes to trial in September of 2021. So this has really been a pretty current story people following the trial. Um, just recently in January 2022, she is convicted of three charges of fraud um, and one charge of conspiracy to commit fraud. And Sunny has not yet gone to trial. So it's very possible that she will serve some very real jail time. Um, and Alyssa, I'm just curious from you, what do you think the sort of lasting legacy of Elizabeth Holmes is on Silicon Valley. Do you think that this story and it's like extreme implosion of this idea that you can fake it until you make it? Is that going to change? Has it already changed the way that Silicon Valley companies are being founded? Will it change it? And what's what's startup culture looking like right now? You know, I would say that it's really rare. It's so rare that a court would convict an executive for fraud. And to me, it is, I'm sure that there are plenty of um, other people out there who've done really terrible things and have gotten away with it. <laughs> I'm just almost positive, just given yeah. how much uh, big big talk is happening around Silicon Valley. But that that being said, I think it, you know, she's going to appeal and like we'll see how this plays out in the courts. But I think if anything, investors are are much more cautious now. If anything, it's like frozen and, and specifically in the sector. <laughs> like there, there are plenty of like ridiculous things that are getting investment money that like it's still just a wild market with a ton of different unicorns all over the place. I wouldn't necessarily say that the entire investment market is cooled, but I, I think people are 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 watching to see like how all of this is going to play out just for their own personal well-being. <laughs> like right. it, it, it's no matter what it's going to make investors 
second guess a really amazing product, a really ambitious product, especially if it's in the area of science. And I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case for other areas of industry. Like I think there's a lot of indiscriminate investment still. Um, And that's just the nature of Silicon Valley. Like some people just have so much money, but uh, if anything, it, I, like, I think it's just a great example to be held up of like, you can't do this and get away with it when you're putting people's lives at risk, even if that's not what's the center of like the the trial that, that right. went on. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think I think some of that and, and who gets centered in this story will come out in these more pop cultural ways and watch it. You know, the, the movies that come out, the TV shows that come out. Alyssa, can you get enough of this story? Like, is a TV show <laughs> and a movie it, it too much in addition to all of the nonfiction studying you've done? Or are you excited? Truly, it's like this is how it is now. Right. Like we yeah. just have college courses about like insane real life tragedies or scandals and. That happens to me be one of my favorite areas, like nonfiction. <laughs> so yeah. I'm in. I'm like, I'm told I'm totally gonna watch both of them, just like I watched both of the Firefest documentaries. Absolutely. Well, you came to the right place in a pop culture history lesson for that special, that special area of interest for you. And I am going to be talking about the Hulu series, The Dropout, the first three episodes on the Prestige TV podcast with Joanna Robinson this week. So if you can't get enough of this story at home, please feel free to check that out. Alyssa, is there anywhere that uh, people should be checking out your hot takes? Well, obviously on theringer.com and on Twitter (laughs) at Alyssa Bereznak. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you back here next week on Pop Culture History Lesson. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.